Coming up on Harvard Chan this week in health, the battle over GMOs in our food, there's a new report examining the health effects of genetically engineered crops. Plus, the leader of the WHO has some harsh words for world leaders amid the ongoing Zika epidemic, and the healthy lifestyle pattern that could prevent half of all cancer deaths. Hello and welcome to Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt, and it's Friday, May 27th. And I'm Amy Monomiro. We begin this week with the debate over genetically engineered crops, often called GMOs. A new report from the National Academy of Sciences finds that these crops are safe for humans to eat, and their use is not linked to an increase in a range of conditions and diseases, from cancer to autism. According to the report, there are only 12 genetically modified crops grown commercially around the world, and the vast majority of farmers are focusing on cotton, soybeans, corn, sugar beets, and canola. In putting together this report, scientists looked at more than 900 studies and data covering the two decades since GMOs were first introduced. In addition to the findings on health, researchers say genetically modified crops have saved farmers money, but haven't necessarily resulted in increased yields. We spoke about the report with Walter Willett, Frederick John Stair, Professor of Epidemiology and Nutrition at the Harvard Chan School and Chair of the Department of Nutrition. He says GMO technology is powerful, and like any technology, it has pluses and minuses. First, some of the pluses, according to Willett. In some ways, it's doing the same thing that we've been doing for thousands of years, selecting strains, varieties of plants that contain properties, uh, perhaps more sweetness, uh, longer shelf life, things like that that we find attractive or sometimes profitable. And GMOs can do that, but in a much more powerful way. There are some potential great advantages that some GMO products might have. For example, uh, having plants that producing plants that are more drought resistant. And as climate change is occurring, that could be particularly advantageous in many parts of the world where rainfall is decreasing. But Willett and researchers from the National Academy of Sciences say there are concern about the growing use of GMOs, and that includes the development of herbicide-resistant crops. That, in turn, has led to an increase in the use of chemical weed killers. Willett says that the potential effects of this are not yet known. This uh, herbicide Roundup is now being used very broadly, not just for control of weeds, which was the uh, major justification originally, but it's being put on late and uh, just before harvest. So a massive part of the uh, United States is being coated with Roundup uh, very close to the time the the crops are actually harvested. And so we are consuming more of that uh, than was, I think, originally intended. We really don't know the long-term consequences. Uh, Roundup has been declared a probable carcinogen, both by the World Health Organization and uh, the state of California, and yet we're exposing people now in a much greater amount than we were uh, just a few years ago. Again, it's not that this is a direct consequence of uh, the GMO plant itself, but it's allowed us to, I think, abuse uh, Roundup in ways that were, and use it in ways that were never intended and with consequences that I think are not really totally known in the long run. Despite this report, the perception of GMOs in the U.S. is still largely negative. A recent report from the NPD group found that 57% of Americans believe GMOs pose a health hazard. And while Willett acknowledges that there are some concerns around GMOs, he says there are much more pressing issues facing the U.S. food system. Unfortunately, I think the debate over GMO or not has really uh, been a distraction in terms of the overall quality of the food nutritionally and also for the environment. And if we look at the U.S., uh, the biggest problem in our food supply is not that we have GMO 
plants, but that we're basically uh, essentially abusing our resources for food production. That if we look at all of the grains produced in the United States, about uh, 35% go to produce ethanol so people can drive bigger cars, basically. We could get rid of that overnight, basically, and cut down on uh, the land impact. Uh, another 45% of the grain produced is fed to animals, to, mainly to produce more beef and other uh, red meat. And uh, we'd be better off if we were not feeding those to animals, uh, that feeding that grain to animals and eating all of that red meat. And uh, another 15% or so is used for production of high fructose corn syrup. And only about 10% is actually directly eaten by humans. So we could eliminate about half of the grain production, probably more. And we'd be better off uh, from a health standpoint and dramatically better off from an environmental standpoint. So uh, GMOs are, are really not the biggest problem that we're facing. Willett does say that he believes foods with GMOs should be labeled because he believes people have a right to know what they're eating. The head of the WHO had some harsh words this week for world leaders amid the international Zika epidemic. Speaking at the 69th annual meeting of the World Health Assembly, Margaret Chan says the current outbreak of Zika can be tied to policy failures dating back to the 1970s. Chan says that in addition to the threat from Zika, which has been linked to serious birth defects, the world is facing re-emerging threats from yellow fever, dengue, and chikungunya. Zika shows an extreme consequence of the failure to provide universal access to sexual health and family planning services. Latin America and the Caribbean have the highest proportion of unintended pregnancies anywhere in the world. Above all, the spread of Zika the resurgence of dengue and the emergent threat of chikungunya are the price being paid. The price being paid for a massive policy failure that dropped the ball on mosquito control in the 1970s. The warning from Chan comes as the Obama administration clashes with Congress over funding to fight the Zika virus in the U.S., the White House has asked for nearly $2 billion in funding, but separate bills in the Senate and House have allocated far less than that. The CDC recently said it was monitoring 279 pregnant women infected with Zika. They risk having babies born with the birth defect microcephaly. When it comes to preventing cancer, we know that basic lifestyle habits can go a long way. And new research from the Harvard Chan School has identified the impact these healthy habits can have. Researchers identified a healthy lifestyle pattern that they said could prevent half of all cancer deaths and close to half of all cancer diagnoses in the U.S. So what defined this healthy lifestyle pattern? Well, there's four areas. Not smoking, drinking in moderation, maintaining a healthy body weight, and exercising regularly. The study contrasts a 2015 paper that suggests that most cancers are due to random cell mutations and therefore not preventable. We spoke about the new research with lead author Min Yang Song, a research fellow in the Department of Nutrition at the Harvard Chan School. He says that this paper doesn't necessarily contradict the 2015 paper, but it does underscore the importance of focusing on cancer prevention. We believe that primary prevention is the most cost-effective a strategy for cancer prevention. This is extremely important given the increase in cancer burden and also the 
increasing prevalence of unhealthy lifestyles like obesity, physical inactivity. Song says that healthy behaviors could have a large effect on preventing certain cancers, particularly lung cancer, colon cancer, pancreatic cancer, and kidney cancer. Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, is twice as common in women as in men. It's estimated that 1 in 10 women will develop the condition at some point in their lives. And new research is highlighting how PTSD and other trauma can affect a woman's health. Researchers at the Harvard Chan School found that women who have experienced trauma, or PTSD, may be at greater risk for developing a potentially fatal blood clot disorder called venous thromboembolism, or VTE. VTE, which includes deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism, is the third most common cause of cardiovascular death in the U.S. and the leading cause of death among women who are pregnant or have recently given birth. We spoke about the findings with senior author Carson Conan, professor of psychiatric epidemiology at the Harvard Chan School. A key takeaway, Conan says, is that mental health and physical health are closely linked. We have growing evidence that trauma and PTSD have adverse effects on women's health and across a broad range of outcomes. So we've shown this with cardiovascular disease, diabetes, also body mass index. Women have with PTSD have a a greater, uh, they, they gain weight more quickly. And this is extending all these findings to blood clots. People think of trauma and PTSD as mental health problems, but it shows that long-term they have these negative physical health consequences. Some healthcare systems are um, looking at this and changing their practices. So for example, in the VA hospital, the Veterans Administration, they are supposed to be uh, screening everyone for trauma, particularly combat trauma and PTSD in practice, whether they come in primary care or a mental health clinic. Now that doesn't always happen, but they are doing that. I give those examples to show that it, trauma and PTSD can be screened for in tra- primary care, which would be one start. I think we've made some inroads with screening for depression, and it wouldn't be difficult to also do that for PTSD. There are, there are brief screens that are three or four questions that could give providers a sort of a heads up. It might be important to look at, to refer these women to mental health providers, or they may be at greater risk of some of these other outcomes that they may, that may then want to be followed for more carefully. Conan says there are some areas researchers are now focusing on. For example, they'd like to try and figure out why women with PTSD might be at higher risk for conditions like blood clots or depression. So a factor there might be are women with PTSD more likely to smoke. Second, researchers like Conan want to see if certain treatments for PTSD or trauma will be more effective at reducing negative physical effects. Finally, this episode, looking ahead to next week, Tuesday, May 31st, is World No Tobacco Day. And ahead of that, there is some encouraging news on smoking in the U.S. The CDC reports that the rate of smoking among adults fell to 15% last year. The 2% point drop from 2014 represents the biggest one-year decline in more than 20 years. And despite that progress, more work does remain. Smoking is still the leading cause of preventable illness in the U.S., and is responsible for nearly half a million deaths each year. And just to put the current smoking rate in perspective, 50 years ago, 42% of American adults were smokers. And experts attribute the drop in smoking to increased education about the risks of tobacco, limits on tobacco advertising, and smoking bans. And that's all for Harvard Chan This Week in Health. I'm Noah Levitt. And I'm Amy Montemiro. To learn how you can subscribe to this podcast or to listen to past episodes, just visit hsph.me slash thisweekinhealth.